Time for bed. But Christmas is tomorrow. I'm too excited to sleep. Would you go to sleep if I told you a bedtime story? Okay. Twas the night before Christmas, and Mommy and the kids were worried about Daddy when they heard about the bus crash on the radio. But Daddy came home safe and sound, and it was the best Christmas ever. Yay! However, everybody on the packed bus died, and their family spent Christmas Day identifying bodies and planning funerals. What the fuck? Christmas Carol Catastrophes, a podcast about the oddest Christmas songs ever unleashed on an unsuspecting public, starts November 17th. No, really? What in the actual fuck? Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I am speaking with Rod Spottiswood, who is the creative, uh, dare I say, genius behind Elf Control. Hey, Rod, thanks for speaking with me today. No worries, Marv. Thanks for the interest. Oh, yeah. I mean... um, was it last year or the year? I think it was the year before last. So two years ago, I binge listened to the first three seasons, uh, and then and then waited, obviously for a long time for season four. And now I've waited a long time till season five, which started last week, and that made me really happy when it came out. Um, so I mean, how do we explain this? Uh, it's Santa's. Uh, team who make the toys and organize Christmas for him and uh, Alphonse who's the head elf he's um, sort of he comes up with new ideas shall we say to try and make things work better yeah so elf control is sort of the name I've given to um, kind of the main reception or the administration block of Santa's workshop, I suppose. So Alphonse uh, works out of there. He's got his uh, assistant, Grumble, and Alphonse sort of manages the books, the budgets. He runs the workshop and he's always trying to save a buck and improve efficiency and costs for the um, the workshop. Um, he's answerable to Santa. Um, yeah, and he just tries to keep things ticking ticking along. And some of his plans don't, well, a lot of his plans don't normally work out the way that he thinks that they will. Not always, no. So, for example, he's uh, taken the traditional uh, method of toy making and he's really modernised things in the workshop. So now it's um, very automated um he's uh eliminated the need for a lot of the um hammering and sawing and also the singing which has made him very happy to get rid of all of that elf singing in the workshop absolutely yes the rt6000 is doing its job it is yeah that that's the ribbon tying machine yes and there's also the sticker machine which did become voice activated and then progression on that it became thought activated 
So, yes, a lot of silliness and nonsense um, is my overlay on Sanders Workshop. So, yeah, it's all, all a bit of fun. But it, but it hasn't stopped, um, is it Elaf or Elaf from um, having so much nervousness and he ends up going to see um, a psychiatrist quite a lot? Yeah, probably more so anger management. He's got a bit of a short fuse, Elaf. Elaf's the, um, the workshop foreman. So he's answerable to Alphonse, who he doesn't see an awful lot because Alphonse doesn't really like getting his hands dirty and going down to the workshop. So LF is the um, main foreman. Um, yeah, so I think it was episode two of this series. He goes to the Zen Den of Fury Control to consult with Elfabian, who um, is helping him with a bit of anger management. Yep. So, yes, bit of therapy. No, I cannot, even though I was trying all day, I was trying to remember what the name of the um, the lady who's at the end of uh, end of the operator phone. I'm trying to remember who that is. The, the yeah. That's Melfa. That's it. Mel- Melfa. Yeah. So Melfa's the receptionist. So she takes all the calls. She's like the, the front gate to Santa's workshop. And she's really kind of the brains and keeps things running. Um, she's the the centered head. Um, what do you call it? The yeah, the sensible one, I suppose. Well, you need somebody to be sensible when Santa's drinking so much eggnog. That's it. Yeah, it's maybe a bit of a cliche to have Santa as the drunken Santa, but it makes it makes it a bit of fun, and um, it means I get to use lots of burping sound effects too, which is also a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, we're saying this, but I, I think it's a show that works for all ages, personally, or most ages, because it doesn't go, you know, it's not it's not crude. It's not really that naughty, I don't think, in any way. So, I mean, how did you come about creating it? And, and then there's a certain uh, area where you'll go almost to that point and then know exactly where to cut it off before it goes past being, so should we say, family-friendly? Yeah, well, I guess a big filter for me is that my kids will listen and I want my kids to be involved in it. I guess part of my, one of my incentives for doing it was to really show the creative process to my kids from an idea and I'd involve them with some of the ideas and my son would give me um, some jokes. I think they were maybe nine and seven when I first started and they're they're 13 and 11 now and you know my son would say oh what what if um, Rudolph got cold and his nose turned blue he'd give me ideas and I would involve that so I always wanted to keep it family friendly but I also wanted it to be to be funny and you know comedy does have to be a bit edgy and um got to have something for the grown-ups as as well so uh yeah family friendly was very important to me um, but yeah, there, there is always a temptation to push boundaries, but then that's where uh, my wife helps out as well. Cause I'll show her the draft script and she's a bit of a filter as well. She'll say, no, you can't say that. So it's, it's good to have um, those eyes across it as well. That's great. So it's, it's a full family, um, uh, project then. To a degree, yeah. I like like to involve um, everyone. I always try and give a little role to the um, to my kids as well. Like for Santa store visit, they'll always be one of the kids that that pops up. Um, 
my son plays Nick, the work experience kid, in the workshop, and they've really embraced it and and enjoyed it. So yeah, just showing them the creative process has been re- really really good. Yeah, I mean, during our discussions before, you've you've mentioned that um, so. Uh, the voices you've used people that you that you know that uh, they are actual real actors in real life are they yeah so my sort of work career has been in video production and I've um, just over the years worked with various people um, a couple of guys I used to work with on corporate events they would um, kind of MC the event I'd be the video guy and we'd work together and make some um, funny little videos for the event um yeah and just people I've worked with uh, and come across over the years um Jeff Payne who plays Alphonse he's a very proficient actor he's he's um, got a regular gig on Neighbours yeah um and Russell who plays Santa and Elphas and various other bits and pieces he's a very accomplished um comedian uh, they've done a lot of improv as well. So on the record day, they always add their own little bit of ad-libbing and a um, bit of fun. Um, yeah, and, yeah, the others, a uh, couple of friends that have just roped in. And, yeah, it's always always a fun day getting them together when I see them once a year for the record day. Hey, this is Chris from Podtastic Audio the show that I have created to help you create your amazing podcast. And you are listening to Pods Like Us. So you're creating a show for for all ages. What inspired you then to actually start this? Was it what you were saying? Is that Was that your initial inspiration then of just trying to do something creative with your family and your children? A little bit, yeah. As I said, I work in video production and it's very fairly, it's, corporate video it's a bit dry and I really wanted to have a creative outlet and I've always had a love for audio and radio comedy um my dad exposed me to the goon show as a kid um uh, don't know if you know chicken man okay Dick Orkin's chicken man um very silly very absurd um just always had a love for that radio comedy um and having worked in video it's so much easier just to work in audio without the visuals. And, um, you know, you could have a have a scene, two characters talking, and then at the very end of the scene, one of them can say to the other, yes, but don't you think you should put your pants on first? Or, or you know, you can just have that um, element of comedy that you can't do in um, the visual medium. So, yeah, it, it, it's fun. And it, the inspiration was from a love of um, audio comedy. You know, uh, just just going away on a tangent slightly here it's it's funny you should mention that because i was uh chatting with ian who makes the show uh, cold war uh, conversations and we were speaking about um both of our love of old radio in a sen- in essence and, and he was talking about how he used to listen to uh back in the 70s when he was younger and and in the eighties and I have similar listening to this, we were saying that we used to occasionally accidentally come across shortwave signals that were like from number stations or from other, other countries and listen to those. And we just found all that. And I, I have this thing for 
I have some shows I listened to that they've put out as podcast where they found old footage of shows from old radio and they've put those out. And I have a fascination for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And there was also a breakfast radio show that I grew up loving, The Degeneration here in um, Melbourne. Um, and then I guess that was also part of me making it family friendly. It was initially I wanted to make just short, and that's why my episodes are so short, because I was initially thinking of a, a pitch to radio or thinking where it would work in radio. I never sort of set out to create a podcast. It was just about making a old-fashioned um radio comedy show you know i'd love to do one of those dramas where they have all the live sound effects and the live band and everything like that there's yeah something um sentimental about it i think yeah i mean but but you know thinking about it when you mentioned to me the inspiration of the goon show i i i've thought back to some of the episodes and i've thought yeah in some ways you can almost imagine uh milligan uh, you know, Harry, Spike and Pete and later, you know, um, oh, Michael Benteen as well. You could imagine all of them doing these voices and these characters in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I love having the actors playing different characters. And sometimes on the record day, I'll have a new character, like a store manager or something. And I'll just say to one of them, oh, can you just do this and and just see, see what they come up with? Um, yeah, so I love that sort of improv side of it as well, and that give it that live feel. So are they are they actually recording all together then, like the goons used to back in the day when they're in the same booth recording? I've tried my best to record it all together. Um, so series one was recorded all together, and series five, the latest one, was recorded all together, and it, it it's great. It's so much fun. They bounce off each other, and I think you get a much better result, but because of um, the lockdowns and um, COVID in 2020 um, here in Melbourne, we earned the reputation of the most lockdown city in the world. So when I was trying to record it, um, we were restricted to having one guest per day to your house um, for one hour and that that was as relaxed as it got at the time. So there was no way I could get everyone together. So yeah, series two was a real challenge. Uh, recording everyone individually. That was just a lot of work where I had to edit every single line and voice and record everyone individually. So I had to re read all the offlines as well. So it was, it was just a massive exercise. But, hey, we were in lockdown, so I had time as well. Wow, that's that's tricky. I mean, I remember I did a voice for uh, the Icarus Complex. I played a character in that. And I found that really difficult because of the fact that you're that I was essentially, I mean, at least they had you to bounce off, whereas me, I was just giving these lines and it was just like, do these lines with this sort of emotion and send me the files. And it's, it was just strange because you're acting to nothing. Absolutely. That'd be really hard. So when I'm reading the offlines, I'm trying to inject the character's voice and everything into it. So it was quite exhausting doing every script for every, every character, but um Listening, I don't think you'd really be able to tell. So I think it was an okay result. And then other years, it's always hard to schedule all five of the cast all at once with their busy lives. So quite often there'd be one that I'd have to record um, separately and I would just turn the um, cupboard 
um, in my study into a bit of a blanket fort and try and make it as sound proof as possible and yeah record one at a time where i had to wow that's incredible hey i'm mr x and i'm caleb of the mac the Rat podcast. podcast and you're listening to pods like us with marv here's you marv so inspired by goons and those old radio shows so the the scripting then how do you go about that you've said that there's some ad there's some uh ad libs as well by people where they could make up things as well so what what how, how do you go about the scripting of it of the show itself yeah well it's all scripted so i um would write the script. I would try and get it done in six months. I think series one, I started in 2014 and finished in 2019. But then every year after that, I would try and get it done kind of from January through till the end of May, have it in draft form by June. Um, And my wife, Jacinda, was very generous in giving me space to um, schedule the time to get lots of um, coffee and my laptop and just... um, type away and that that was the part I really loved the scripting and the um coming up with the silly ideas and thinking about it um really really loved that part of it um and the recording was fun but then all the editing and mixing because I work as an editor that really felt like hard work that that was a bit of a grind all the editing and mixing um all that work but yeah the scripting um lots of fun and just, just finding the time because it was hard to do it in short bursts because you would have to think, okay, now where am I up to? What have I done? So you'd kind of have to read through and get back into the flow. So you'd nearly really need to lock away a good, um, good few hours um, to get a run on. So but, but you've, you've got the script out there then, and then you've got the actors doing the parts uh, and, and, and reading the lines essentially. But then the, they are... Like you said, they are improvising at the same time around that. So is your script sort of like a a guide, essentially, for them to work around? Or do you stick to that and then let them improvise around what's there? Yeah, I mean, they stick to the script pretty tightly and we'll do a few run-throughs and then once they sort of get into it and get a feel, they might throw in a, a... few bits and pieces here here and there but i mean it is it is very scripted yeah so is it more about the inflections or the way that they actually say the script or do they make slight alterations slight alterations here and there quite often they'll just pick something up and say oh wouldn't it be funnier if i said this or did it this way and it's like yeah absolutely great great idea so yeah their, their contribution um, on the record day was was really valuable. So, uh, and then you've recorded it. How how would you record the show? Uh, well, where I work, I work in the video production of a company called CMS Australasia, which does corporate events, audio visual, staging, lighting, all of that. So, fortunate enough to have a TV studio at my disposal. Um, with all the gear I need. So, um, yeah, they're very generous in letting me use whatever I wanted. Um, I also had audio experts at my disposal to help me set up and plug everything in and um, 
basically get it to a point where I just hit, had to hit record on Pro Tools and make sure there were levels so I could kind of do it all myself. Um, but just having, yeah, good people and good facilities around me, it was just such a bonus. I've never had to go out and research and buy mics. It was just like, oh, which mics should I use? Oh, these ones will be best. Perfect. So I've been really fortunate in that regard. That's really good. I mean, so you've got the experts there who know what microphones to use and and what sort of, situ- you know, how to set it all up. Um, and then I'm guessing that is how you would source the effects as well, because they're already available through that work. A little bit. Yeah. As a um, video editor, putting videos together, you're always using um, sort of stock libraries for production music. Um, you know, everything has to be royalty free and copyrighted and licensed. And I was mindful because I was thinking of pitching it to radio. I wanted everything to be um, licensed and legit. <clears throat> so I had subscriptions to some um, production music libraries over the years, um, Storyblocks and Artlist. So, yeah, I was able to just... Um, type in lots of really obscure searches into the sound effects libraries and find what I needed and find all my Christmas absurd polka music and all my music came from these these libraries. And, um, yeah, that that could quite be a challenge to find exactly the right um, sound effect. That would take a lot of time. So, so how many different belches did you go through before you got the correct one for Santa? A lot, a lot. I probably had a folder of 10 go-to sound effects. And especially like the first couple of series was hard because you'd have to find everything. By the time you got to series three, four and five, I could do a bit of a copy and paste because I'd already um, used them. So all my ringtones and knocking and... Um, background ambience that I put into each scene uh, was already there. So it kind of got easier um, as you went along. So is it each of the machines then now that are in, in the the workshop, have, have they all got their own individual sound file? Yeah, they do. They do now. Now that the workshop is automated, Series 5 is, well, in Series 1, it's all hammering and sawing and... Um, yeah, workshop sound effects. Now it's just sort of kind of the white noise drone of machines and the beeps, and there's even a um, a thunk, thunk, thunk for the sticker machine, which um, pops in every now and then. Um, yeah, I've got in. Um, it's very subtle, but in Alphonse's office, there's like a um, a split system heater going because he's got the nice heated office. So there's just a bit of a of a heater. Um, in uh-huh. Santa's Santa's room, there's a crackling of a fire. It's very hard to get a sound effect that sounds mm-hmm. like a fireplace and doesn't sound like sort of static popping. Um, outdoors, there's always a little bit of wind and um, bird noise. Not that there's many birds on the North Pole, but it's nice to have a little bit of birdie noise, I think, when they're outdoors. And right. reindeer, reindeer sound effects is very challenging. Um, so I've got... I think it's just called wild beast effect or something for whenever I've, I've got the reindeer. Cause I actually don't even know what reindeer sound like. Okay. Right. No, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to think what they sound like now as well. I mean, I've seen reindeer in real life, but I've not got a clue what they sound like thinking about it. No. Yeah. And, and I've labeled them as smelly. I don't actually know if they do smell, but according to elf control, they're smelly beasts. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen them trumping on, on films before now. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think now. I mean, that reminds me of something, you know, I'm going on another tangent here because I'm a bit of a fan of Star, Star Trek. And I remember watching a behind the scenes uh, and they were explaining how on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, they were saying that if you listen carefully, they've actually got the background hum of the of the uh, of the systems, and you can hear them in the background. You can so when you go in different rooms or or different areas of the space station, you hear the sound. They've got the same rumbling going on in the background, but slightly other different noises according to which area they're in. And I thought that's, and I've noticed that with your show where. Like you've said, you know, there's all these different sounds in the background and that really grabs my attention because it's attention to detail, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you've got to convey, and I probably didn't quite do it enough, but every time someone comes or goes, um, I've got different doors opening and closing. So just the subtlety when the door opens, there's a gust of wind because they're on the North Pole. So the wind sort of blows and then the door closes, and that stops. Uh, footsteps, um, you've got to convey movement just with sound effects, uh, rustling of clothes if they're um, uh, you, um, moving or dragging something. Uh, when Alphonse is in his jacuzzi, um, that's always a bit of fun. Put a bit of re- reverb on the voice to convey the bathroom and lots of splashes and drips and, um, yeah, it's good fun. Good fun. Can be laborious trying to find the exact sound effect that you need. Almost as much fun as Grumble has when he occasionally gets his way into that uh, into that um, hot tub uh, jacuzzi or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yes, when he um, sees Alphonse in the nude, it's always a good reaction. It is. Hey, it's Rena host of The Better Call Daddy Show, where I interview guests, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. So, uh, and then and then the music as well, like you've mentioned, or in passing. I mean, I, th- I think the music, the main theme to it is absolutely perfect because it's got that element that is Christmassy, but also fun and maybe a bit, it, it has that sort of sense of it, it may be a bit risque in places. Yeah, it's playful, and I, um, I've probably got um, oh, at least a hundred tracks that I went through and downloaded. But when I heard it, yeah, you kind of just know when you know when you hear the right one, you just know. And that was just I was so relieved um, to have found that track. That's the um, intro and the outro music. It, I, yeah, it, it really sets the tone. And then I've got my narrator, the voiceover guy who does the intros and outros, uh, Jason Cameron. He's a former newsreader journalist, so he's got that polished uh, newsreader type of voice, and he, he's a good friend of mine. Um, and, yeah, I just love putting his voice over that music. It's, yeah. Yeah, and, th- and then all the other music that you have, like when they have a party, when all the... Um when the presents have been delivered and Santa's done his job and then they have the after party afterwards, that music's great as well. Yeah, just just the process of finding the right one. It's always got to be playful. It can't sound too corporate video. Um, Yeah, always looking for some 
um, playful, different element um, that normally you would, if you're looking for music for a video, that you would go, oh, no, that that's terrible. That's usually the one that I pick. Um, and I found a good Jingle Bells track. Was it Jingle? No, I don't think it was Jingle Bells, but for the store visit episode, which I think is the next one uh, that'll be released, I found if I put this... Um, the ringtone effect on this music for in the store, it just sounded perfect. It really sounded like department store music. So yeah, it's a bit of bit of playing around and yeah, and, and just finding the right track. Wow. I'm looking forward to that one then, that episode, mm-hmm. as I do all of them. Um, and then the logo as well is relatively, you know, it's it's the North Pole. But well, it's changed each year, hasn't it? Actually, I think. I think you've changed the the picture each year. Yeah, I've just changed the background colour, so it's all exactly the same. Um, again, where I work, I've, there's graphic designers um, on staff, so I got one of our guys, Andy Behrens, to uh, describe the show um, five years ago when I first started, and he, he came up with that. That was his, pretty much his first draft, and he just nailed it first time with the little Santa hat, um, the back-to-front F. Um, yeah, and I've just changed the colour um, for each series, which... I don't know if that's the right or wrong thing to do, whether to mess with a brand like that, but I just thought it might be nice to distinguish each season. I think it works. It tells you, you know, it, it like you said, it distinguishes one season to the next, and I I, I always like it when when uh, audio audio dramas do that. Quite there's a few of them that do it, not not an awful lot, but a few of them that do it. Um, sh- shout out to Harvey who does the artwork for what is it the Chronicles of Wild Hollow because they do a great job of doing the same thing as well but they differentiate season to season as well yeah um, I was thinking of, of my um, my DVD collection where you've got different seasons and when it's just a different color it just makes it it's obvious to see which one when you're picking it off the shelf so yeah, yeah, all, all, yeah. All these television shows, you have a different picture on the front as well. So you know, it's almost like you'll have the same cast, but there'll be a different picture of the same cast, essentially. Yeah. So let's have a look. What have I got next? A is, actually, before we do this, is there a standout moment from the show that you think that that you really? Well, well, is there a standout moment in the show to you? Um, hard to say. Um, I think just season one, episode one kind of sets the tone where you've got um, Grumble's new deer venison eating Mrs Claus's holly bush and then the deer it upsets his stomach and he shoots poo pellets at Mrs. Claus and sends her to hospital. For me, in a way, that sets the tone of just it being silly, absurd, a bit childish because you've got your poo jokes in there, Um, just a lot going on. For me, that kind of set the tone early on that I just wanted it to be very silly, anything can happen, and just fun. Um, I think down the track of added sort of your, your modern overlays to the um to the the workshop and injected a few modern things like AI and um this whole series now is about the coal crisis and finding an alternative to coal so um yeah trying to find interesting ways to inject um 
modern overlays. Like people were saying, oh, you should include um, COVID and the pandemic. It's like, well, I don't want to be too too specific or literally in that regard. But I did make Santa and Mrs. Claus get very ill. Not exactly COVID, but they did. Um, did they did get sick? So, yeah. But but no specific moment. It's been been quite a journey over the yeah fifty episodes now. It is. That's a great, but yeah, it is about 80 episodes, well, 50 episodes, like you said. So what have I got now? A Christmas moment. So mm, I think by this, I think I'm trying to, so what What are your own memories of Christmas? Why is it, why does it mean so much to you, do you think? Um, when, when coming up with the idea for the show, I never really wanted to, do anything Christmas specifically. It was just like I want to do something and I'm listening to shows trying to find um, inspiration and ideas. And I actually came up with the title before anything else. It was just a play on words of um, self-control. Oh, elf-control. Oh, that would be a funny name for Sanders Workshop. And then it just sort of snowballed from there into into an idea. And then I thought, well, Christmas, it, it really gives the show a bit of a focus. It gives... There's a lot of material there to, to work on. And it also gives me a nice hard deadline and a schedule. Um, you know, when you're doing a creative project, it could just go on forever and never get anywhere. But having that um, rigid schedule and a deadline, um, I found that really motivating and, and helpful. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't a real connection with um, Christmas at all, although one, once you have kids, Christmas is kind of reinvigorated and becomes a very special time of year. So, um, yeah, and then, but then one of the, the worst things is it is such a busy time of the year and the lead-up to the end of the year and trying to make this show as well, it's, um, it, yeah, it has been been challenging. But, um, yeah, ne- never set out to do anything specifically Christmassy. It just, it just sort of happened that way. Hey, this is Danny from One Minute Podcast Tips, the show that helps you be a better podcaster in just a minute a week. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. So staying with that, with what you were saying there with the the making of it, that's bringing me back to something you mentioned earlier on. So you originally started thinking about this in 2014 and then uh, then had it ready for 2015, no, 2019 when it started. She had five years working on the first season, essentially. Um, Then then was, was there a bit of trepidation or a bit of nervousness with you then where, you've spent five years creating the first season and you've suddenly got what five, six months to do to come up with the following season. Yeah. But, but I think it's good having that push. Um, I probably started in 2014 and worked on it for, you know, five minutes here and there and didn't really get on with it. Um, And then, yeah, my wife, was really encouraging. It was probably just a bit of lack of self-belief as well to um, get a team together, get the actors together and to actually present a script that I had created to say, here, go read this. And you know, I'm giving it to fairly accomplished actors who have done some nice shows. They've done comedy festivals around the world, some of these guys. So it was a little bit, you know, this, here you go. So just finding, yeah, having that self-belief to actually produce something um so yeah my wife was really encouraging um in that regard 
but then yeah having the deadline to to then go and do series two and know I had to get the script done I, that, I find that found that really helpful yeah um, okay I'll, I'll guess then that because of the uh, the positivity over the first season with the people that came in who like you said were experienced and had that history and the fact that they were so positive about that probably that might have rubbed off on you then and giving you that bit more uh, positivity to go ahead and write and be more accepting of going to write season two and come up with it as quick quickly as you did in comparison. Yeah, I'd say so, exactly. Um, and even for that first series, I wasn't really, I'd, I'd put it on the pod beam or whatever, but um, didn't really track it uh, at all. I'd more put it on Facebook and share it with friends and friends would go, oh, that's all right. Half your friends wouldn't even bother looking at it and some some would like it. But, but yeah, you're, you're right. There was enough encouragement there to um, keep me going and the actors um, and the people, the, my close inner circle really embraced it and encouraged me to to keep going with it. So, and it was good. Yeah, my And my kids really enjoyed it as, as well. So... Yeah, we, we just, uh, yeah, kept it rolling. Are there any bits from that first year then when you when you were showing it to the to these people that were that that jump out at you as moments that that you really liked sort of are there any moments, say, when they were looking at things and you'd hear them have a giggle or something that's something that you'd written or or something that and that made you feel better? Are those sort of moments? Yeah, yeah, and that that's really rewarding, especially you know when you're making um, comedians laugh. That was quite gratifying. Um, I think just this the whole absurdity of of the story with um, you know the there was industrial action in the workshop, the elves going on strike, um, South Pole elves coming because they're gifted um, with electronics, and then they get wiped out so a bit of an elf genocide happening just the silliness of it but people seem to like it and it was just a bit just always been a bit of fun it's never been trying to get as many downloads as possible or likes and follows it's all just been been a little bit of fun and people seemed to enjoy um working on the team I've, I've never seen myself as much of a leader or anything but but when people kind of joined the team and came along with it. They seemed to to really enjoy it, and it was like, oh wow, okay, so, yeah, that was it was good. It was encouraging. So yeah, we, we kept it going. Well, the, I mean, the way that you've written it and the way that it's produced, it does um, it, it has a sort of element to it where it's like some of the best audio drama that you can listen to, where you can lose yourself in there and you can actually almost imagine and feel being there in essence if if you shut your eyes it's it's almost like you can see it in an audio fashion in an audible fashion it's just that's i think that's how it works really well oh that's good that's that's nice to hear that and i, I think keeping it to fairly i was always aiming for three to four minute episodes i think it's nice to um to have the audience wanting more not just you know tuning out because it's it's running too long um and just being mindful of attention spans and people are such voracious consumers these days just keeping it nice and short um i did feel like yeah people were always wanting the next episode what's coming what's next which which i think was 
um, a good approach. Like, like you said earlier on, you know, when you were saying about the um, um, possibly pitching it to radio stations, it does sound like one of those shows in a way because of the length where it would work like that. Because I remember radio shows back in the day, you'd have like these little almost like sketch things going on in a, in a normal radio show. So you'd have a radio show that lasted for a couple of hours and every now and again, they'd have these little like story bits come in that are only like four or five minutes and then they'll go back to their normal show. So it sort of fits into that format as well. Yeah. And that, that was always the, the intent. Yeah. There would be like that little three minute segment in the two hour show that you would sort of listen to the show for. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that that's really what the original idea was. So, what outside of your own show, though, what what sort of Christmas media stands out to you as somebody who enjoys the the Christmas period, and you know, and things that you enjoy? Well, basically, what what what's your go to for Christmas media? Um. Probably Christmas movies with the kids is always a, a tradition, so we try and start that early. Um, we watched a Home Alone last night because there's only so many movie nights before Christmas, so we are getting into the Christmas movies already. Um, and anytime there's a Christmas special in a, in a show, like whether it's the, the Simpsons or something, I'm always actually on the lookout for what's a good-looking elf because I kind of think that this would make a nice animated series as well, but but elves are kind of creepy looking horrible things. So it's it's quite rare to find an elf image that I go, oh that that could be it. That's get that's getting close. Um so yeah I'm kind of kind of got a little interest in elves now. But yeah but yeah so mostly Christmas movies I'd say. It's interesting you should say that. So is that is that something that you are looking at or something that's just there in the background still thinking about with the animated variation of the show? Uh, it's, it's very much in the background, but I, people say it to me a lot and I need to take the time to work out what the steps would be um, in achieving that. Um, and Yeah, the time might come to kind of rest the show, um, to stop making it for a little bit and uh, look into some of the avenues for it. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Good, good luck with that. Hey, this is Ross, Simon, and Thomas from Who Takes the Socks Off podcast, the show that answers the questions you didn't even know you needed the answers to. You're listening to Marv, the one-man podcasting machine on Pods Like Us. What advice would you give to people wanting to create their own, uh, you know, audio dramas or audio entertainment? Um, I think for me the hurdle was just getting getting started. I think, you know, the blank piece of paper, the, the blinking cursor can be quite daunting just, just to get started. But if um, video editing's taught me anything, it's that it's it's easier to make something bad better. Yep. It's um, it's hard getting started, but you've got to have something to improve upon. So when I when I write, it's easier to fix something or rewrite something rather than get started. So you just got to 
get started, put something down, even knowing that it's rubbish and will never see the light of day, it's easier to fix something that's terrible than, yeah. So you just have to get started. You have almost word for word said exactly the same as uh, Nicholas Tukoski, who writes horror films and horror audio, who I spoke with last week. He said almost exactly the same thing. He said that the way he gets around it is just to to write something, and he, in his, his words were something like, even if it's rubbish, you've got the story there to be able to then go to and essentially clean it up and make it into something that's worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as I said, with video editing, I've, I found that exactly. You've got to just cut a few shots together and then it, you can always go back and fix the start because you, you get bogged down at the start. So just do a rubbish start, get into it, and then you always go back and redo the start later on. And also found having a schedule, like having the Christmas thing really helped. It, it kept me accountable. I knew I had to record by a certain date. Then I, if I wanted to post my first episode on December 6th, so I'd work back from there and see when everything had to happen. So having a schedule and having people around you that were supportive and could keep you accountable as well and just check up on you and uh, review your work as you go, if that's helpful. Uh, yeah, and trying not just doing it on your own. It's got to be um, a little bit collaborative. In passing, I will. I will just mention it must be. It must be. You know, in your ordinary job outside of this, it must be a lot easier now because I remember when I went to college and I was doing media, uh, we were still editing using actual video tape. Which was a pain. So I'm oh, guessing yeah. that I'm guessing that now that must be a lot easier with digital technology. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started on um, started on videotape, and tell all the kids today that they'll never know the joys of having to rewind a tape or do video dubs. You'd always just start with um, dubbing um, and digitizing footage. Um, yeah, I mean, then you've got other problems, other issues now with technology. You've got to be a bit of a software engineer to work out why computers not working. And so, right. yeah, and, and data management issues now. So, yeah, I've had to sort of uh, keep up with the technology and the new new ways. And find the older I get, the least willing or um, the harder it is to learn new software. So. Yeah, still new challenges, but yes, a lot easier than um, working with videotape, that's for sure. Like Homer Simpson says, to learn new things, he's got to get rid of the old stuff that is in his brain already. Yeah, exactly. So what advice would you give to people starting an actual podcast? Um, yeah, I guess to find your target audience. Um podcast listeners um speaking for myself very fussy and particular you know a lot of podcasts you're looking for very niche um audiences i actually did some judging for the australian podcast awards where i had to go through i think it was 40 or 50 um podcasts and it was incredible how niche and specific a lot of these audiences were so yeah I think knowing your audience um, is important um, and in in judging those awards as well I found whenever the podcasts were a little bit slow and 
lingered for, for too long, um, I found that hard to listen to. You just want to keep it slick and, and moving along. Um, and then also audio quality for me is a, a huge one as well. Um, yeah, just, it's just got to be good sound. But yeah, if, if I'd say that if you're starting a podcast, then you know, make sure that you've got a good, got a decent mic to start with, and then you can build from there and get better quality eventually as well. Though, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Just don't don't let that hold you back from starting. Um, and that's the beauty of audio. It's it's a fairly rel- it's a relatively easy format to to work in. Um, gets compared to video production. So yeah. I mean, you, you can start with a relatively cheap microphone that you plug into your thing. If if, if you can, please, please avoid using the microphone that's built into your laptop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, do, do your research. Lots of um, big podcast beginners, lots of videos online to help you get started. Yeah. So what shows do you like to listen to yourself? Um. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, probably because my commute to work is so short. I don't have a lot of time in the car and I don't spend a lot of time listening. Um, I'm a big NBA fan and the American basketball. There's a lot of teams, a lot of games. It's really hard to keep track of and follow. So when I do get a bit of time to listen, I'm listening to NBA podcasts just to catch up on on the news. Um, and then for my, yeah, audio comedy fiction, I'm tending to go to YouTube for that. Yeah. So, what, sort, what sort of thing on YouTube do you do you follow? Um, people like us. Are you familiar with that one? That's that's an old BBC. Yep. Um, and that that's a real go to for me. I absolutely love that. Just that mockumentary style of thing. It's probably um, some somewhere i would like to go next that sort of style of comedy really resonates with me yeah that sounds that sounds great so where can people find you and get hold of you then rod um best place i'm not totally active on social media but i do use the twitter or x um at elf control uh is my handle and yeah that that's sort of the main main place to find me um just yeah search for elf control anywhere and i'll i'll pop up great anyway thank you for speaking with me today rod this was fun yeah thanks marv really appreciate it you're doing a great job thank you very much you can find pods like us on any streaming platform also on twitter instagram and threads and contact us through pods like us at gmail.com um there's also a patreon as well that's one pound a month if you want any extra bits and pieces where i uh put reviews of shows and uh advice and tips for people as well occasionally but anyway thank you everyone for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of pods like us (laughs) 